0: It's that time of year again, where we uh, get to go through this cycle of politics. Have you noticed that? and I wanna encourage you to educate yourself on the issues, educate yourself on the candidates, and vote Tuesday. Make sure you vote, it's important that you vote. I've noticed that, once again, as has been the case in uh, several of the last elections, there's a lot of vilification and negativity that uh, seems to accompany this time of year, and oftentimes it seems that the main objective of one candidate is to make the other candidate the villain. And I'm reminded as a Christ follower that uh, we're to have a different view of people, that we aren't to view people as our enemies and people as the villains. Um, In fact, we're supposed to understand that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against you know, principalities and spiritual forces of darkness. And so for two weeks, we're going to, with intentionality, look into this spiritual side of our existence and understand who we're really doing battle with. So I want to begin this morning by reading to you from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Listen to the scripture. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. With a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This passage I just read to you is too large to cover this morning. So what we're going to do, and some of you may be thinking, thank God for this. We're going to divide it into two messages instead of trying to do it in one message. So I'm only going to get through part of this this morning. Next week, we'll get to the second half of it. We're calling the two messages together, Fighting the Good Fight, part one, and Creativity, part two. Okay, so anyway, uh, the good fight is something we're supposed to participate in. And I think the Lord would have us be intentional in understanding the spiritual realm that we're dealing with. We have been talking on intentionality all year long in 2018. That's been our big theme. Next year, by the way, in 2019, our big theme will be wisdom. We'll talk on what it means to be a wise follower of God next year. But we've been talking on intentionality all year this year. We started the year off with the intentional life, with intentional discipleship. Got into, uh, you know, understanding, um, you know, how to do life right and those kinds of things. And we just finished a series on intentional worship. And so you're kind of getting the pattern here, right? And so now for a couple of weeks, we're going to move into the spiritual realm and become very intentional in understanding what we're up against. Here's the challenge identified for us this morning. Our struggle is out of this world. Our struggle is out of this world. We struggle against spiritual forces of evil. That person that disagrees with you, that person that has a different political view from you, that person on the other side of the fence of some other issue, they're not the villain, they're not the enemy. Amen? We don't battle against flesh and blood. We want to battle against flesh and blood sometimes, don't we? That's not who we battle. We battle against spiritual darkness. We're in the battle with the demonic. Now, there are two problems I frequently see when I mention the word demonic. Some think, and I bet some of you are thinking that right now, this isn't that big a deal. The pastor's gotten a little, ooh. And we tend to ignore it. We tend to say it doesn't exist. And then on the other side... Uh, 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 Of the demonic it seems like there are some that think it's way bigger than what it is there's a constant exaggeration there's a demon behind every tree you know last hour I was talking to people out here the old saying like Flip Wilson used to say the devil made me do it you know there's this constant you know kind of saying the devil's behind everything well sometimes you just do things because you're doing dumb things amen you alright with me saying that you know, and, and so I think we, the problem is twofold like that. And I want you to hear this. We ignore the devil to our harm, and we exaggerate the devil to our harm. Both views are wrong and harmful. So what do you think when you hear the word demonic? What comes to your mind? I think a lot of our opinions about the demonic have been formed by unreliable sources like the movie's. Get that nonsense out of your mind. It's not how it works. That should not be the case for the Christ follower. Demonology seems to be a subject of interest whether you're inside or outside the church. Once I was asked in a foyer like this, not here, can evil spirits transfer from one spouse to another because of the intimacy of that relationship of husband and wife? (laughs) You need to be in my shoes. Some of the questions I get are great. I should have been writing these down. And I'm going to get back to this question a little bit later on. But I remember looking at her and saying, it's that bad at home, huh? Yeah. I said, I don't know if the devil's in this thing. But anyway, I'll get back to that in a moment, all right? But I just want to kind of, you know, salt the oats a little bit there and get you a little thirsty about what we're talking about this morning. Um, A helpful place to start with, you know, looking at the, you know, the demonic, is to to, to look at the devil described. Who is this, and what is he about? So let's talk about who the devil is for a few moments. The devil is, first of all, a created being under the creator God. He's not all-knowing, not all-powerful, not all-present like God. He's finite. He's created. He cannot read your mind. Demons cannot read your mind. Okay? He can tempt you. And the demonic can tempt you because they know human nature, but they don't read your mind. God is infinitely greater in his power than the devil. This means that the devil and and, and the demonic hordes, since they are created, are finite beings. And therefore, when they wage war against God, they can't be everywhere at once. They're not all present. So uh, they cooperate together together in an organized structure to do war with God. Amen? Okay, you seeing this? They're created beings. The devil is a fallen angel. Jesus identified the status uh, of Satan as fallen very clearly when he said in response to the sending out of the 72 disciples who returned then saying, Hey, Jesus, even the demons obey us in your name. He said this. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Jesus said, I see that he's a fallen being. Now, if you want to know if if Satan's an angel or not, you just go to Job chapter 1 and 2. And we're told there that the angels presented themselves before God, and among them was Satan. And, and, And Satan said to God, he did not have the welfare of God in mind or the welfare of his creation in mind. He said, well, the reason that Job is doing so well and that he's righteous and blameless, God, is you've placed a hedge of protection around him and I can't get through him. I can't get through this to him. Take that away and we'll see how righteous Job really is. So we see right away there that Satan has fallen, Satan's an angelic being, and he really has no authority other than what God allows him to have. Are you seeing this? Because he's a created being. Um... Uh, the devil is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. This is point number three if you're taking notes. We read about that in Ephesians 6:12 already, but Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 tells us this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is not at work in those who are disobedient. So we have to realize here that the devil is powerful he's not at all like god but he's still a powerful adversary and the follower of god needs to take him seriously ruler of the air means uh, those on earth who have rejected jesus christ are under the devil's control and influence um it, when ephesians six twelve talks about uh this this topic it, it explained it a little bit more for us rulers of the air are the rulers i mean are just high-ranking spiritual beings okay Just so you understand that. Authorities mean those who have power. Um, So the demonic is organized to resist God's kingdom. It's evident that these fallen angels have an evil disposition. In other words, they have an ill will towards you and I as the creation of God. To state the obvious, they don't have our welfare in mind. They want to destroy us and destroy the work of God. Now, the devil is an accuser. This is point number four. Revelation 12, verse 10 tells us that he accuses us before God day and night. But listen to this. If you are a child of God, if you receive Jesus as your Savior, you are beloved of God, and there is now no condemnation for you. Amen? So here's the difference you need to understand. If you're feeling like, I'm worthless, I'm no good, God doesn't love me, my wife doesn't love me, my husband doesn't love me, blah, 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 all this accusation is coming in, that's usually an attack. That simply is not true if you are a follower of God. Now, if you've done something wrong and you feel convicted and God is telling you to repent that my friends is the work of the Holy Spirit because there's a restoration at the end of that accusation takes you to worthlessness restoration takes you to right status with God amen seen the difference important to know that so the devil is an accuser the devil is an adversary and a deceiver in fact John chapter 8 verse 44 tells us that the devil's native language is lies and he is the father of lies he tells you you're no good he is going to lie to you. He's going to tell you it's foolish to trust in God. I see that happen to people all the time that God's Holy Spirit's moving on them, and you can see that He wants them to become a child, and that person's wrestling with it, and they're wrestling with it, and then they say to me, oh, It just doesn't seem smart to follow God. It seems foolish. Uh huh. Because the accuser of your soul, the devil is telling you right now, smart people don't follow God. And that's the battle that's waging within the soul of people frequently. Uh, and we have to understand the devil is an adversary and a deceiver. The devil is a counterfeiter. We talked about this last week in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, uh, when speaking of the second coming of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the big warnings uh, uh, that that's close, one of the signs that that's closest will be Satan as a counterfeiter will attempt to deceive God's people by doing counterfeit miracles, counterfeit signs, counterfeit wonders. He's a great copycatter, okay? And so God's people have to watch out. The source behind the sign, the source behind the miracle matters tremendously. Seventh, the devil is a destroyer. In Revelation 9, 11, uh, when they talk about the plague of locusts in the end of times, it, it said over the plague of locusts was the angel of the abyss, also called Apollyon, also called the destroyer. And to me, if you want to look at Satan and get a glimpse of who he is, he's just a destroyer. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your peace. He wants to destroy your, your relationship with your kids. Um, he's just a destroyer. Destruction characterizes the goal and the aim of the devil, he just wants to ruin things. The battle we wage against, you know, we wage here, is not against flesh and blood. And I know we're in the middle of this political season. Yikes! It can get that way, can it? It can seem like that's the battle. No, brothers and sisters, there's a greater battle going on than that. Now, should you vote Tuesday? You better vote. Amen. Did you hear that? Wow, that was so weak. I could feel the weakness just invading my soul right there. At any rate, vote. Your voice matters in that regard, amen? amen. But, but get this, the battle is not flesh and blood. We wage battle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers uh, uh, of darkness and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're promised in the Bible this last thing about the devil. Uh, he is a defeated foe. He is a defeated foe. Revelation 20 simply says, his destiny is the lake of fire. Now, I don't recall ever talking about the devil this much ever in a message here. So if you're new to us today, please don't think I'm wacko and come back again next Sunday. All right? If you need to have verification that I don't normally do this, just find somebody else in church. Tell them the truth, please that I don't do this every week. But I think this is so important that we get educated this, this way. And the first way to get educated about spiritual matters in terms of spiritual warfare is to know the opponent. Not... You know, we got to know the real things about him, the facts about him, which I just described uh, to you this morning. Um, we ignore him to our harm and we exaggerate him to our harm. Amen? The devil, we ignore him. We, 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 we you know, we uh, ignore him to our harm and we exaggerate him to our, our harm. So, what do we do? Well, we don't fear the devil. We don't be uninformed about him either, though. And we, we step into the equipping that God has said is available to us in Ephesians chapter six, and we enter into this spiritual warfare realm. We begin to do that. The question earlier on that I asked that that, that this lady asked me, can you know evil be transferred to me from a husband? Well, first of all, I remember saying this to her, Okay, if you think your husband is demon possessed, you need to see a counselor. You're in trouble, eh, amen. That's just not good marriage kind of a relationship. But what would you have said to her? I said, "Are you a lover of Jesus Christ? Is Jesus in your heart?" Yeah. No, can't be. Right? Doesn't work that way. You might see that in one of the Hollywood movies, but it doesn't work that way. And so you know, Jesus protects our hearts. But again. If you have those kind of problems in your marriage, see somebody. But there are some scriptures that tell us that we can actually give the devil an operating uh, area uh, from which to launch an t- attack against us. And those kind of things we need to take serious because we do face a formidable foe here, an adversary that is, is at ill will towards us. So if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 27, you're told in that scripture of the Bible, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because if you do, you give the devil a foothold to operate in your life. And that means, foothold means a topography, an area, a launching place to attack you. So we're being told here in this scripture in Ephesians 4, don't let anger get the best of you. Because if you do, that will be an opening for spiritual attack from Satan. we ought to take that serious, shouldn't we? I know, a lot of angry people, how about you? And that when we get angry like that, we're just saying, just saying, here I am, fresh meat, attack me. I'm opening myself up uh, to your uh, uh, attack. So we're to the second part of the message this morning, and we're going to get to the second part of the second part next week, all right? So we're going we're gonna to talk about not, uh, putting on the armor of God. So what do we do when it comes to spiritual warfare? Well, we don't ignore it. We don't exaggerate it. We get informed about it, and then we take up the armament that God has made available for us to enter into it. So the solution is you are to put on the armor of God and you're to stand firm in your faith. All right, you're to put on the armor of God and you're to stand firm in your faith. There's this old Nazarene uh, evangelist named Bud Robertson, and he is reported to have prayed the following prayer. I I love this. He said, Oh Lord, give me a backbone as big as a saw log, ribs like sleepers under the church floor, put iron shoes on my feet and galvanized breeches on my body, Give me a rhinoceros hide for skin and hang up a wagon load of determination in the gable end of my soul. Help me to sign the contract to fight the devil as long as I've got a tooth, and then gum him until I die. And that's both our attitude when it comes to spiritual warfare. We're in it, and we're supposed to have this determination that we're going to do the battle God has called us to do. So I'm telling you what, brothers and sisters, there's a call to arms to us as a Church of Jesus Christ. There's a call of arms to us in the spiritual realm. We're to be on our guard and stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong, as 1 Corinthians 6.13 tells us. So in Ephesians, we're instructed on how to do this very thing. And I can imagine that that Ephesians was, was written this way. I'm imagining this now, but I'm probably not too far off. Paul is a prisoner as he's writing the book of Ephesians. And most likely he was under house arrest. So most likely he was being guarded by a Roman soldier while he's under house arrest. And I'm sure that Paul looked at this fighting machine of the Roman Empire and he began to see analogies. And he began to look at this guy from toe to head and he began to say, oh man, I see in him some things that are representative of what we have in Jesus Christ. I see the belt on him and that's the belt of truth. I see this breastplate and that's the breastplate of righteousness. I see his feet, they're, they're shod with, with these really you know, heavy-duty sandals. And, and, and God, we have the readiness and the traction to share the, the, the good news of salvation to others. And he saw the sword, and that's the word of God. And, and he saw the shield, that's a shield of faith, and the helmet, the helmet of salvation, all right? So we're going to talk on those for a few moments, but just kind of, I think this is how it happened. Under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, evidently, Paul began to look at this fighting machine of Rome and say, hey, that's what we are in the spiritual realm. We're mighty fighting warriors, in the spiritual realm. So we're going to put on the armor of God, and, and I, I pray that you have this attitude that God wants to turn you into a fearsome fighting machine in the spiritual realm. You know, if you look at Ephesians, you've got to get the flow of Ephesians. I do this frequently. I step back and look at the book of, uh, that I'm looking at and say, what's the big context of what's going on here? And Ephesians is all about putting off and putting on some things. And it begins with First of all, our thinking. And and, and the Apostle Paul says, put off the futility of of thinking and put on a new attitude in your mind that looks like Jesus Christ. So it begins with our thinking. Then then Paul moves to the character of us next and he puts a, a whole list of put on, put off things there. He says, put off falsehood, put on truth, put off anger, Put on self-control. Put off stealing. Put on generosity. Put on unwholesome talk and put on edification. Put off bitterness and rage and put on kindness, compassion and forgiveness. And then it moves on to the way that we live. This put off and put on kind of analogy. Put off sexual immorality, impurity and greed and foolish talk and coarse joking. Put on thanksgiving. Put off darkness. Put on light. Put off drunkenness and, and put on the spirit talking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Put off worldly concept of marriage put on christ-illuminated marriage put off worldly concepts of parenting and put on christ illuminating parenting and then he gets to the spiritual so it started with thinking with the character went to living now it goes to spiritual and basically paul concludes this little powerful book of ephesians by saying put off your fear of the devil put off your ignorance about him put on the armor of god and get in the battle amen so there's this, this building, thinking, character, living, spiritual battle that's going on. And so we're to that last piece of Ephesians here of put off and put on. And so this morning we're going to put off fear of the devil. We're going to put off ignorance of the devil. We're not going to exaggerate them, but we're not going to ignore them. And we're going to put on the armor of God. So here we go. We're going to put on some things today. We're only going to put half of them on. You're going to go out of here, you're going to go out of here half-dressed today. <laughs> Next week we'll get more dressed. But first of all, put on the belt of truth. Put on the belt of tooth, and Kyle kind of put some of this stuff up so you'd have some visuals to look on. That's that middle uh, piece of equipment there that has all the stuff dangling from it. The belt was an extremely important piece of equipment for the Roman soldier. It was not like the belt I'm wearing, and I don't even know if that one does it justice. It's more like a weightlifting belt. It was very thick in leather. It helped protect, of course, the stomach, and groin, and the kidneys, and that kind of thing from attack. Um, it had all these little doodads on it, these little, like, hooker things. I'm getting real technical on you. But you could hang all kinds of stuff off it. You could you could hang, uh, uh, you know, your sword, the sabbat or there, where you could slide your sword into. You had a little uh, hook thing for your shield to go into. It had hooks to hook the, the breastplate to. Kind of, kind of, everything was hung off of this belt and, um, and so, uh, by, by the way, when, when a Roman soldier would go into battle, he would frequently take his skirt <laughs> and tuck it into his belt and run into battle, and that was called girding up your loins. So when you hear that terminology, girding up your loins, that was where it originated from. And that's other thing you never did with a Roman soldier. I, I hear this. You never teased them about their skirt. any rate, um, so take that for what it's worth. But let's go to the spiritual realm. What does it mean to put on uh, the belt of truth? That means you hang your life, you hang every piece of your life, all the areas of your life on the truth of Jesus Christ. You just hang everything from his truth. You hang on the truth of God. It's a place to rest your shield of faith on. It's a a place that you attach the breastplate of of righteousness to in in your spiritual life. you, You embrace these truths of God as the way to do life As the way that your life should be directed, and you understand that it's part of the armament that God has given you to succeed as a follower of God. The belt uh, for the Roman soldier was stiff and unyielding and restricting, but in the battle, that stiffness was a blessing. It was a protection. God's truth is stiff and unyielding at times. It can seem like that to you and I, but trust me, it's a blessing, it's protection. God's ways are the best. And so if we really begin to understand that we're in a battle with the demonic and the spiritual forces of darkness, then we have to begin to realize and read God's word differently. And we need, to be able to, we need to begin to see the ways of God not as restrictive and chafing and all that, but as the ways that will protect us, the ways to do life. And we need to just embrace them that way, amen? And so when we begin to understand the belt concept of spiritual warfare, we begin to say God's truth is for my protection it's the best way to do life. Secondly, uh, the breastplate of righteousness. or to that piece of armament now, the breastplate of righteousness. For a Roman soldier, this was like a coat of mail. Uh, that coat's kind of solid there, but theirs looked like fish scales more. And, and, and um, it covered from the neck to the, to the <clears throat> basically to the thigh area, protecting mostly the heart and other vital organs. And it was hot and it was uncomfortable. You wear metal, it's not, fashionably light it's not breezy it's heavy it's uncomfortable but the soldier was thankful for it because in a battle it protected him from being killed it was inconvenient but because he understood its function he was okay with it spiritually speaking the breastplate represents the righteousness that you and i have in jesus christ so jesus is your righteousness And What it means, well, let me just give you 2 Corinthians 5, 21, first of all. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I are clothed with righteousness. I don't care what you think. I don't care how you feel. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're clothed with his righteousness. It's not what you think. It's not how you feel. It's what God has done. You understanding what I'm saying by that? He has made you right. You have not made yourself right. You are right because of the work of Christ. And when you are accused by the devil that you're no good, you don't do right, you sin all the time, yep, just agree with him and say, but my righteousness stands in Christ alone, not on me. And his blood covers my heart. His blood covers over you as a follower of Jesus Christ, and God sees that. And sometimes when we're in the middle of some accusation or something going on, we need to understand and stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It protects our heart, okay? His blood covers over your life, and it protects you. Um, any rate, let's move on. Let's put one more piece of armor on this morning. And Next week, I'll wrap it all up, and it'll... Hopefully it makes sense when I wrap it all up together. Um, we're going to put on feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The Roman soldier wore a very heavy sandal. And that picture there is actually pretty good of that. It was a heavy sandal that laced way up to the calf. And you see it had spikes sticking out the bottom of it. They were technologically advanced when it came to footwear. And it gave the soldiers of that era an advantage Because they weren't slipping and falling all over when they were doing battle. They stood fast on the ground and were able to then do battle more efficiently. Um, Technology can be a wonderful friend, by the way, when it comes to footwear. I remember back in the day when I played basketball, I wore Chuck Taylors. I think you're going to picture those. There you go. If you notice Kyle and notice him when he comes out, everybody look at his feet. He has a pair of black Chuck Taylors on today. And back in the day when I played in the 70s, that was the footwear. And cutting edge, I tell you what. And then I thought we're really advancing when they made them multicolored. They weren't just white. They became black and red. And then they got your school colors. And woo, doggy, we were really now, we're heading to some good places. What they were was a hunk of rubber with some canvas glued to them. They were a terrible shoe. Probably one of the worst shoes ever invented. But now they're worn for style, and I understand that, that. They're good for that function. But I remember when I played basketball, I would always have a spare pair of Chuck Taylors with me. You know why? Because you'd be running down the court, and all of a sudden, chunks of rubber would start flying out the bottom of your shoe. Does any of you remember that? they just explode on you, and you had to have a spare shoe because you got a flat. We call it getting a flat back in the day. I need a new pair of shoes. They're just, mine's all over the floor right now. You know, now we have Nikes and we have, you know, Air Jordans and Nikes and we have Adidas that are really cool and, and uh, you know, Under Armour and, of course, Converse, they got these nice tops or super cool-looking leather, great support. I wrap my ankles every time I play basketball because those things have no ankle support. They have a piece of leather tied around your ankle, right, or a piece of cloth tied around your ankle. Now they have great traction. They stick so well. The new shoes stick so well. These things, you're constantly licking your hands doing this. I mean, it's gross. But that, that's what you did to try to have some kind of traction. They just were terrible. The new shoes, you young people don't know how good you have it, right? <laughs> it sounded like a really old dude right now. But you know, I remember when I got to the point where I realized how old I was getting, I was playing noonball in Williston, basketball over the lunch hour. And a young guy showed up with his little silver suitcase. And he opens it up with his silver shoes. For playing basketball in. And I said, you have a suitcase for your shoes? He said, yeah, man, where are you from? I said, I don't have a suitcase for my shoes. And pretty soon he had gathered around him a bunch of old guys like myself laughing at him. You have a suitcase for your shoes. Are you going to go on a trip with them? What are you going to do? You know, all this sarcasm started flowing. But that's how far shoe technology has come in the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. You know? um, and and so you get all this traction, right? And that's what, what we're getting at here in this, in, this, in this part of the armament of God that, that's available to us. Um, you have sure footing of peace, brothers and sisters. If you're in Jesus Christ, you have the Roman soldier technology of sandals with spikes in them or the modern technology of some kind of really good basketball shoe, but you have sure footing in, in Jesus Christ as a follower. You have the sure footing of peace and it's equipping you to share the good news of salvation then. It's giving you the traction, the ability to share the good news of salvation. Um, I, uh, Ephesians two fourteen says, "For he, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, of the dividing wall of hostility." So Jesus brings us peace. He brings us sure footing, a right relationship with God. You're forgiven in Him. His sacrifice has atoned for your sins. In Him, your past is right clean. His grace now empowers your life, and now you are ready. You have the traction to share the good news of Jesus with others, amen? You have the footing, you have the technology, you have the advancement to do that kind of thing. And Isaiah tells us in 52 verse seven, Isaiah 52 verse seven, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And you and I have to bring the good news of Christ into the world. And guess what? I'm stopping right here today. I know know this feels abrupt. I hate doing this. But we're going to do communion right now and we're going to get back to the rest of this next week. And I'm going to wrap it all together, okay? I have no idea what next week's message is, but I'm sure it's going to be good. So make sure that you come back and get the second half of this because you're only half dressed and I don't want to keep you that way. Um, So right now we're going to pray and then prepare for a, a, a moment of communion. So would you... Bow your heads, and I'm going to pray that that we dress in the armament of God that we've talked about thus far, okay? So here we go. This morning, Lord God, we pray to put on the belt of truth. With the Holy Spirit power, God, may we purpose to be people who live a life based on truth, especially the truth revealed in your word. On this truth, Jesus, we're going to hang all the areas of our lives. And as we do so, we realize that you protect us. That is a protection to us. It's a protection to us from spiritual attack. This morning, Lord Jesus, we put on the breastplate of righteousness you've made available to us. We know that through you, Jesus, and you alone, that we are righteous. Cover our hearts, Jesus, this morning with your blood. As we do communion, this is a perfect uh, moment to reaffirm that we're covered with your righteousness, Jesus, with your blood. Protect us from false accusations and doubt about our salvation that oftentimes I think the demonic is throwing at us and we're not even aware that's happening. We're the sources, I should say. When the enemy whispers in our ears and brings condemnation to us, I pray we stand fast in you, covered by your blood, assured of the righteousness we have in you, Jesus Christ. Jesus, as we are about to take communion this morning, we rejoice in the peace that you've brought us. We receive this morning forgiveness. You've placed us on that sure footing and through you we have grace that will enable us to fight spiritual battles that we're called to fight. Give us courage to be ready to share the hope we have in you. May our feet be fitted with readiness, Lord. May they be shod with that readiness that is from relationship with you, Lord. May we be people who know that we're at peace with God and that God, out of that sure traction, we then are equipped to share the hope we have in Jesus to others. God, may you cause each one in here this morning to be a spiritual fighting machine for the praise of your glory and for the furtherance of your kingdom, Jesus. I pray these things. Amen.